with you all here today, and uh, hello to everyone in the venue today as well. My name is Adrian. If we haven't yet met, love to connect with you after the service. Such a good thing to be able to worship together as we take communion with one another, and to worship together as we give out of the abundance with which God has given us. As a reminder, on the first Sunday of each month, there's another opportunity to give to our deacon and deaconess team and our storehouse ministry, which helps care for the needs of people both in our church community and in uh, the community at large. Uh, You'll have an opportunity to do that as we close out the service today. I'd like to bring just a few quick uh, announcements to, to your attention before we turn to Hebrews chapter 12. A lot of things going on in the church as we turn into August and the fall. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's here. I'm not quite ready for school to start. <clears throat> Got a lot of work to do in these next couple of weeks. Um, but as we ramp up for the fall, there's a number of things though, that we wanted to bring to your attention. The first one is just a great note of celebration. It was probably six or seven weeks ago that the elders and I came before you asking if you would consider giving for a hearing loop in this room. And I'm delighted to tell you that about a week ago that hearing loop was installed here in the auditorium. And so if you have that technology on your hearing aid, you can switch over to hearing loop right now and you'll be able to hear me even better than you currently do. Maybe you don't want to, so it'll be your choice. But if you want to, you can flip over in your, uh, your, your hearing aid right now and utilize that. There's a little flyer out of the information table that will give you more information about the hearing loop. If you don't have this technology in a hearing aid that you utilize, we still have money left over in that fund from your generosity that we would be happy to utilize for helping you upgrade that hearing aid if you would like. We also have three packs that were provided to us by the installer of the hearing loop, and uh, those are available at the information table, that you could use those simple headphones that you put on and take advantage of the hearing loop, even if you don't have that on your hearing aid. So thank you so much for your generosity to our church to provide that. It's now available here on Sunday mornings. Also want to let you know that today's both a happy day and a sad day for us as we say goodbye to our pastor Kevin Andres and his wife Janet as they're moving on to Finding Life Church just outside of Omaha. You might have heard a couple months ago Pastor Kevin accepted that position as lead pastor at Finding Life Church and today we'll celebrate him and Janet. They've had a wonderful uh, ministry here at the church along with some pretty goofy pictures we might add. Kevin's done well bringing fun to our ministry in a lot of ways over 14 years. He's led college ministry, he's led worship and youth, and the past year and a half he's been my senior associate pastor and has done a great job in that. Janet's been a phenomenal leader with the college ministry, as many many of you know. So we want to say thank you to Janet and Kevin as they head out uh, this afternoon. In between services, there will be a a cookie reception and some refreshments over there in the cube area. You're welcome to go greet them there and and give them a card to say thank you. And then also at 1 o'clock, we'll present them with a gift and pray with them if you're available to come back for that time. We'll do that at 1 o'clock again over in the cube. As we head into the fall, um, we have been doing a little initiative here on the edge of your bulletin. You've noticed this tear-off portion with a number of different areas that, that you could serve in the church. And it's our firm conviction that if you want to grow spiritually, there are three essential environments that you need to be a part of. 
One is a worship environment where you're consistently ingesting the truth of the gospel. That's this. Another is a small group community, a life group community, or a men's or women's group community in which you're doing life with other people who are marching in the same direction. And the third is, if we're not using our hands, we know we don't learn nearly as much. Isn't that right? We have to serve. We have to be on mission. And if we're not personally on mission, we simply will not grow in discipleship nearly as much as we could if we are serving others. So I want to encourage you, this little tear-off portion, you're seeing these uh, job responsibilities being ticked off one by one as people are signing up for them. I don't want you to be too late and miss out. I want you to have an opportunity to serve in this church or through this church for the community. Our hope, our dream, is that everyone would have one area of ministry. Some of you might have two, but our hope is everyone would have one area of ministry could be every other week, could be every month, could be every week, but usually it's not more than an hour or two at a time, and if you're interested in any of those in the edge of your bulletin, please pull this out, bring it out to the connection card boxes or the information table, put it in there, and we'd love to get you involved. We have over 400 regular servants at this church. Isn't that great? Over 400 volunteers help make this happen on a week-in-a-week-out basis on Sunday morning, On Monday night, on Wednesday night, all different ministries throughout the week, and those people are growing in Christ as a result. This is a huge piece of our discipleship, and we encourage you to be involved as well. Finally, we will have a ministry fair on August 20th that will give more information about the various ministries, as well as ways for you to find the right community, the right ministry for your growth here in the next season. Please join us on August 20th for that. It will be immediately after each of our worship services. Okay, that's probably enough announcements for one morning. Would you agree? Let's jump into Hebrews 12 and 13. Uh, Today we'll be in Hebrews 12. Next week, Hebrews 13. But they both address really the same topic as the author of Hebrews comes to the close of his message. We're going to be talking next week about awe, sense of awe, sense of holy reverence for God. And this week about our own holiness that comes out of this belief in the reverence of God. It's really interesting as you read the New Testament, there are many different attributes of God that are given to us, but on three different occasions we're told by New Testament authors, God is this. On one occasion, the Apostle John, who was the beloved Apostle of Jesus, closest disciple to Jesus, says, God is light. On another occasion, John says, God is love. In fact, he says that twice in 1 John 4. God is love. And then 1 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter says, God is holy. What's interesting about these statements is they don't say God is kind of like love or God is holy in this way. These are essential attributes of God that in his essence, this is who he is. He is holy. He is love. He is light. As I talk to people both inside and outside the church, I notice that most people are attracted to the idea that God is light. There's a warmth to God's character. Yes, I want that. Yes, please. So I talk to people both inside and out the church, outside the church, of course, there's an interest in the fact that God is love. 
We all want to know that God is merciful, that God is loving, that he's willing to forgive us, that he's generous to us, and he absolutely is. Yes, please, we want some more of that. But how about this idea of holiness? Uh, As I talk to people outside the church and increasingly inside the church, I've come to learn that holiness is no longer in favor. People love the idea that God is love. People love the idea that God is light. But a God of holiness? Not so much. Why is that? Why this change here in recent decades that we're not attracted to God's holiness as much? There's probably a number of different reasons, but one of them is the word holiness communicates this idea of an intensity, doesn't it? A severity, a righteousness. And we all kind of naturally find ourselves attracted a little bit more to cool Joe than intense Tom. Right? Cool Joe Namath. Oh yeah. We like the groovy guy rather than the intense guy. As well, the way that we tend to use the word holiness now takes on a sound of negativity frequently. Let's have a little bit of talk in church time. Would you please join me? A little talk in church time. I'm going to give a few descriptions and you fill in the blank of these two. Beth won't go to the game with you. She won't watch the show with us. She won't go to any movie. She's such a straight-laced goody-goody. She's holier than, right? She's holier than thou. It's not a compliment. Or how about this one? Brandon, you better watch out for him. He's always telling others about how often he goes to church and about how spiritual he is and how he reads his King James Version Bible. He is a holy, he's a holy roller, right? Neither of those are considered compliments, are they? We speak of this term whenever we use it, oftentimes in negative ways. It just sounds a little bit odd to our modern ears, a little bit peculiar. Perhaps a few images will help us. Again, what comes to mind when you think of a person who you would describe as holy? Perhaps someone like an Indian guru, an Indian sadhu, okay? That's considered a holy man. If you went to India and you saw someone like that, they'd say that's a holy man. Or perhaps you would think of The old pictures that you have in your mind of a Puritan woman with a bonnet on her head, a head covering of some kind, back from the 16 or 1700s, a Puritan. Or maybe we would think of an Amish family riding in a carriage here today and say, yeah, that's a a holy person. Those are holy people. Oftentimes, again, these images do not conjure up a positive emotion from us. How about this cool girl with her friends taking a selfie? Does that look like a holy person? The way we think of it, probably not. Or how about a couple baseball players in the major leagues throwing fastballs and hitting one over the park? You think of that person as holy. Or how about a politician in front of the Capitol? Do we think of him as holy these days? Come on, let's be honest. 
What if I told you that teenage girl snapping selfies could be every bit as holy as an Amish family? What if I told you that that Major League Baseball player or even that politician could be every bit as holy as that Puritan with her head covering on? Would you still believe me? Maybe not for the politician, but... No, he could! He actually could! We, we might not know any of them, but he actually could be every bit as holy as the Puritan with a bonnet on. Even you and I can be considered holy. Holiness has just seemed odd now in our 21st century culture. We don't use this term in a positive way, but it is absolutely fundamental to the Bible, and we see it as a word that summarizes the final two chapters of Hebrews 12 and 13. If you open up with me to Hebrews 12, one verse though that we'll see here though this morning is, make every effort to live a holy life, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, we won't see the Lord. Again, 1 Peter 1, reference this already, quoting from the Old Testament, the Apostle Peter says simply, be holy as I am holy. We are to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. Now, it'll probably help us as we talk about this topic to give a definition what is holiness? And in the process, we'll also talk about what it isn't. Holiness means to be set apart for God and from sin. That's really all it means. To be set apart for God. Looking up the greatness of God and saying, my life is for you. I desire to live a life that is in conformity to your character as revealed by your son, Jesus Christ. I want to be set apart for God and from sin. I want to obey the moral precepts of the Bible and think in a Christ-like manner, speak and act in a Christ-like manner. I want nothing to do with sin. I want everything to do with God. Holiness has nothing to do, my friends, with fashion or tattoos or musical preferences or the kind of Bible you read. It has nothing to do with whether you like the hymnal or more contemporary music. It has nothing to do with your race or your nationality or your level of income. It has everything to do with a commitment to think, speak, and act in a way that honors the gloriously beautiful character of Christ. Hebrews 12 is going to tell us that our Father in Heaven loves us so much that He is willing to go to work on you and me. He's willing to go to work on us to help make us holy. Again, open with me to Hebrews 12. We'll start here in verse 5. And as we read, we're going to learn the Father disciplines us in order to make us holy. You're going to see a very simple analogy of an earthly father to the son or daughter that he loves, and then our Father in heaven to us. We're going to see our Father disciplines us to make us holy. Verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we still respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So once again, the Father disciplines us because he wants something more for us. He disciplines us out of love in order to make us holy. He wants something more for us. What is it that you think God wants most for your life? What do you think it is? Some of us would think that what God wants most for our life is is comfort and happiness. I kind of wish, but that ain't it. Some of us think that what God wants most for our life is a put-together, beautiful family that is the envy of all our friends. Again, I kind of wish, but that's not it. It's not even that we would all be believers. That's not what God wants most. What God wants most is that we would all conform to the likeness of Christ. That we would be disciples who are being changed by Him. That are walking in His light. That are becoming more and more like Christ Himself. That we would become holy. You see, the Father loves us so much that He is willing to discipline us to make us more like Christ. He's willing to discipline us. Ick! Anyone else? I mean, we don't really like that word, do we? We'd prefer there to be another way. Please hear me now. Discipline, as recorded in Scripture, is not the same as punishment. Punishment is usually punitive. Discipline is always restorative. Discipline is a wise move from a mother or father toward their children for their own good out of love. Think about it. If we don't discipline our own kids at all, what happens? That actually becomes abuse. Right? If you don't discipline your kids at all, that becomes abuse and you will never receive any peace from your kids. Parents who do not discipline their children in a wise way, guess what happens to those kids? Oftentimes they become wards of the state. I've tragically worked with dozens of those kids whose parents refused to ever give them a healthy and proper discipline. They went by an anything goes approach to life. But we discipline because we are invested in our kids. And so this passage is shouting for us by way of analogy that God disciplines us because he's invested in us. 
because he loves us. He's willing to discipline us. Listen to the, the message paraphrase of this. It's such a poignant picture of the Lord's discipline and why he provides it for us. Again, from Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8. It says, My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. I think we have that verse, if we can put it on the screen. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. The trouble you're in is not punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? Would you? No, of course we wouldn't. What this is saying, in the simplest way, the most pithy way it can is, we all would want a responsible God. And a responsible God disciplines us for our own good. He's trying to make all his children like his son. He's trying to make all his sons and daughters like him. Some of us have this idea that God is secretly worried that we might embarrass him. That's not it at all. He is concerned that we would reflect him. He's not worried that you might embarrass him. He is concerned that you would reflect him. This is the kindness of our God in his discipline. He's concerned that we would reflect him. And sometimes that will mean allowing the proverbial pain in the neck to come into our lives. As the Apostle Paul called it, the thorn in the flesh to come into his life. You might remember in 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul had this great pedigree and he was brilliant beyond what most of us could imagine, certainly what anyone on stage could imagine. He was incredibly brilliant. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had everything going from him, but probably because of all of that, he was given to something called pride. And because he was given to pride, the Father allowed a thorn in the flesh to come to Paul in order to humble him. And Paul didn't want that thorn in the flesh, did he? In fact, he begged the Father of mercy to take it away from him. But God said, no, I'm not going to take this pain in the neck away from you because it is the power that will be necessary to discipline you out of your tendency to pride and into more humility. I can tell you there's been many times in my life that the Father of mercy has allowed a pain in the neck to come my way. None of you. None of you. <laughs> but I've had some pain in the neck. And whether it be injuries or really difficult relationships, which took a ton to work through, or the experience of stuttering throughout my life, which I've talked about once before in this room, whatever it is, I usually haven't wanted those things. But if they contribute to humbling me, if they contribute to reducing anger, which can bubble up in me when I'm not careful, if they contribute to making me a little bit more like Jesus, then blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether it be pleasant or whether it be painful, if he's going to change us through it, then come on, God, bring it. 
I love the way C.S. Lewis put it in his brilliant, brilliant book, The Problem of Pain. He encapsulates it so vividly. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I imagine maybe you found this as well, that it is his megaphone to rouse us sometimes out of our spiritual laziness and lead us closer to the living God. This is the first part. It's the Father's good discipline to make us holy. The Father disciplines us to make us holy. And then the second part of this is we must discipline ourselves to become holy. This is good theology. God comes to us, and as we just celebrated the communion table, he freely forgives us. As we receive the love of God given to us by Jesus Christ fought from the cross, the word is justification. We are justified before God. We are made right before God, even though we were stained by sin and shame and guilt. He forgives us. He removes all of our transgressions from us to give us a right standing before God. That's the beginning of the gospel. He loves us, and he brings us into his family, and he forgives us. Justification, completely his work. But the next theological word after justification is called sanctification. And sanctification begins, well, when the Father gives us his Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son, they give the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and turn our hearts toward him. To give us a new heart, to give us a new flesh, as we talked about out of Ezekiel 36. To focus our heart now more on him. And then he begins the sanctification process by uh, bringing us to our knees, causing repentance, leading us to ask for forgiveness And he starts to change us from the inside out. And he promises that he is always with us, promising never to leave us or forsake us. He begins the sanctification work too. But there is a part that we must play in our own sanctification. And there are some out there who would say, no, there's nothing that we can do. All we do is constantly just look at Jesus. No, the Bible would say that there is something that you and I must do if we desire the holy character of God. Of Christ. And it goes on here in verse 12. It says, Therefore, because God has already done all of this for you, because He's already forgiven you, because He's already brought you into His family, because He's already disciplining you, therefore, here's what you are to do lift your drooping hands. (laughs) Isn't that great? Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may be put out of joint, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That's our part. And when we discipline ourselves to grab it, we can grow in holiness. This is our part. We begin disciplining ourselves to grab at what God has for us. 
the holiness of God. It can start today. New habits can start for us today. You think about it, if God is all love and no holiness, at least as we contemporary uh, people tend to define love, then the commandments of Scripture turn into these meaningless statements if he's all love and no holiness. Okay? But because he's holiness as well, the commandments of Scripture are, absolute, are actually commandments. If he was all love and no holiness, then why did he go to the cross? He went to the cross because he wants us to be holy. He has to forgive us, but because we needed a holy one to come for us to make us righteous and bring us to God when we were not holy. He's both of these. He is love and he is holiness. And so even to these impoverished Hebrews though, that our author is writing to have been plundered by the mighty Roman Empire and are kind of weak in the knees and they have droopy hands. And even to us when we are broken-handed, our, broken-hearted ourselves, he says, I want your very best. I want the very best for you. I believe in you and I will work for your best. And this is your part. Lift up your drooping hands. Give yourself completely to me. Pursue holiness. I see here in these verses at least three ways that God gives to us to pursue holiness. The first one is this. We are to guard our hearts. If you want to pursue holiness, you begin by guarding your heart. Because, as Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it springs life. It is the wellspring of life. Begin with your heart, begin with the inside, not with the outside. God is about internals, not about externals. And it says here in two consecutive verses, verses 14 and 15, a couple of different ways that we guard our hearts. Interestingly, it has to do with relationships. They have to do with peace and preventing bitterness. Verse 14, make every effort to live in peace and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Then it goes on to say in verse 15, see to it that no one, falls, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble that many people would be defiled. Okay, so raise your hand with me. Would you think of holiness predominantly or first in terms of how you relate to others? Probably not many of us, Right? Most of us think about it as an inward disposition, an inward reality, and that's good. But what this is saying is part of our holiness is, are you pursuing peace with others? Are you pursuing peace with those who have something against you? Are you going out of your way to, as much as possible, so long as it depends on you, pursue peace with all people? Are you preventing any bitterness? Any grudge report to take a root in your heart and then clog an artery. Work hard to prevent these things because it's part of holiness. It honors God. And life is painful enough as it is without bitterness. I mean, bitterness is getting mad at someone else but taking the poison yourself. Let's not do that. We proactively fight against grudges, fight against bitterness, We guard our hearts. And then second, we guard our bodies. The world says that our body is for pleasure, doesn't it? 
the Bible says your body is for God. The world says our body is for self-satisfaction. The Bible says our bodies are sacred. Did you know that? That your body is sacred. There are some religions out there that say it really doesn't matter what you do with your body. The body is basically meaningless. All that matters is the soul. Christianity is not one of those. Christianity says the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so how do you guard your body? And then it goes on to say in these next verses though, that we just read that you are to guard your body sexually, that we reserve our body sexually for one person in the covenant of marriage for life. And we seek holiness well with our body. We fight for it. And if we failed sometimes in the past, well, guess what? There's forgiveness for that. But don't use that as a license to keep on failing. Choose from this day forward to develop new habits well with your body. And I can promise you, as one who has had to fight this too, just like every one of you has, as one who says, yeah, this is incredibly difficult for those in your 20s and your 30s, and it's so, so hard. If you pursue courage, if you pursue holiness in this area, you will be able to pursue holiness in any area. You'll be able to stand for God in any area. So fight for it with your body. Fight for it sexually. So also he goes on and says, fight for it with your body while well, when it comes to, what does he say? Food. Food. Not my words. Not my words. Okay? What was Esau's deal? What did he do? He sold the blessing of God, his birthright, for a buffet. Can you believe that? You see, the reality of the Bible speaks to again and again is that anything that stands in the way of intimacy with God can become an idol. Anything that takes our heart, anything that takes our affections, anything that prevents us from saying, all of me for all of your glory, God, can become an idol. And Esau's idol was his belly. God doesn't give us any escape. He says, there's no easy way out here. What I want for you is holiness. And there is no holiness when we say anything goes. Anything goes. And think about it. You want anything good in life, you can't say anything goes. If the football team wants to win the state championship, coach, can they say anything goes? No, they can't. If you want to have a great harvest this year, can you say anything goes? If you want to have a great marriage, you can't go by anything goes. If you want great parenting, anything goes will not do. If you want the character of Christ, anything goes philosophy that is so popular in 2017 will not do it. And so what Jesus does for us, what the Father of lights does for us, is he picks up a scalpel and then he gives one to us too. And he says, identify that which is preventing you from fully pursuing me, preventing you from the holiness of the Lord, and let's root it out together. Let's slice it out together. Is it bitterness? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it greed? Is it selfishness? What is it for you? Here's your scalpel. And God says, who disciplines us for our, God, for our good, 
I have one too, and we'll work on it together. That, my friends, is sanctification. Can I get an amen? Okay, this is good. This is for our good. Okay, holiness gets quiet in the room, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, let's close with uh, the same verse that we closed with last week from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Not because I believe you didn't already apply it, okay? I know you've already applied that in full, just as I have. Wink, wink, okay? We're going to close with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 because it is foundational. If you want holiness, go back to this verse again and again and again. Listen now. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which, so, which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne room of God. Look up to Jesus, because we become more and more like what we dwell upon. Whatever it is, though, that you and I choose to dwell upon, we become more and more like that. And so the final point here, the third thing that we can do is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus along with others. Fix your eyes each and every day on the living God who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God for you. For you. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith, and you become more like him. And you can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. This life of holiness is really, really hard. And it feels a little bit odd. It feels a little bit peculiar to us. And we, we worry that perhaps if I really pursue a holy life, I will start to look different than others. And perhaps I'll even be rejected. That's the fear, is it not? Ask any high schooler. That's the fear. And so we have to run after this with a few others, which this verse points us to. We have a great cloud of witnesses, which of course is our forefathers and foremothers in the faith, which we read about in Hebrews 11, but it's also the people around this room. It's also the people in your life group. It's the people around you in the venue right now. It's your family. It's a few friends at school. It's a few friends in college. It's a few friends in your life group. It's a few friends in middle age or in old age or on your deathbed who you know will run with you toward Christ because we know it's too difficult to do on our own. One more reason that God gives us that we cannot be Lone Ranger Christians. If we try to do this on our own, we'll fall off the horse pretty quickly, won't we? We need a few others to bolster us, to strengthen us, to pursue Christ together. And if we do, dwelling upon the author and perfecter of our faith, receiving the Lord's discipline, and pursuing it ourselves with our eyes, with our hearts, with our bodies, will grow more, even this week, in the holiness of God. 
Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us higher. You call us at times even to be peculiar from this world. And in one sense, we are frightened by that because we all want to fit in. We all want to know that we belong. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we confess to you, Lord, that we want something more than just belonging to the crowd. We want to become like Christ. We realize, Lord Jesus, that it's your desire that we would become like you. We realize, Father, that you're going to do what you can to conform us to the likeness of your Son. And so we, we invite you. Come, Father. Wherever we need discipline, please give it to us. Wherever we here today in the auditorium or in the venue lack good habits to pursue the holiness of the Lord, would you grant us courage to begin pursuing those habits today? Not on our own, but with a few others, perhaps in a life group, perhaps with a few others in school, at youth group, in the college ministry, whatever it might be, God, we, we, we say we need a few others to run after Christ with, so would you please provide them? If there's anyone in this room here today that doesn't have community, I, I pray that you would know today that our church cares about you and we want you to find community, that we'll do all we can to help you find a great life group, a great spiritual family to help you run toward Christ, that it's okay to admit that we can't do it on our own. We thank you, Lord, that through it all we have you, Jesus, to look upon, that if we are rejected by others, we know we are accepted in the sight of God, children of the Most High, brothers and sisters to Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray together. Amen.